Never listen to your head because it has this idea that the status quo is safe. It doesn't know the stuff on the other side of that. That looks really scary. And so it's going to try to rationalize not doing anything. This is the Live Into Your Brilliance podcast with me, Al Kenny, and my partner in crime, Mark Billows Bilby. This is the place where we shine a light on the brilliance and the truth of the human condition, whilst blow up the illusions that get in our way. In this week's episode, we have a very special guest. It is someone who I've gotten to know over the last couple of years and whose deep wisdom, calming presence and lighthearted nature is something I've come to really value and appreciate. They have had an epic journey, um, spending almost 30 years in a corporate career as a lawyer, consultant and senior executive before a watershed moment in 2016, which led to them um, setting out on their own path and building a coaching practice that helps founders, coaches, business owners to build their businesses with ease and purpose. We waste no time in this episode and we dive straight in with a meaty question for our guest to answer. And so without further ado, I would love to welcome Jeff Munn to the show. I was reading an article of yours the other day around being yourself and this comment jumped out at me, which was, that was the story of my life. If I liked it, it was weird. For decades, I hid that rather than embraced it. Um, I was curious, what does that tell us about who you were and who you are now? Wow, we're just diving right in. Um, I can tell you, and I, I can't remember if I told this story in the article or not, but I can tell you where I got that story about myself. I have a very distinct memory, and there were probably other things around it, but the thing that stands out for me is, you know, I am um, I am old enough that I saw the first Star Wars movie in the theater. And for whatever reason, I was 12 at the time. Uh, it was it didn't get a chance to go see it till the summer. And I have this very distinct memory of like, I don't know why I didn't go with friends. I don't know what I was thinking, but I went with my parents. And I mean, I don't know if either of you saw the original movie in the theater, but you know, there's the big spaceship comes over and it's rum. Like it, there was nothing, there was nothing like it in the movies up to that point. And I was just you know, gobsmacked from, from moment one and just sat there during the whole movie, just in awe. And so I remember walking out of this theater into the sunlight, cause it was a matinee, you know, and, and I'm walking with my parents and I'm just like, so gleefully excited about the whole experience. I can barely talk. And my mom looks at me and she clearly had not enjoyed herself. And she says, Jeff, if you liked that, you're weird. And that was just the, like, I, I got that story from her in particular over and over and over again. That, and, and so I grew up thinking, oh, I'm, I'm different. I'm weird. I'm interested in these weird things. I have weird friends. And I just learned to, to, to assume other people weren't interested and to hide it. 
And it took me a long time to get comfortable talking about, um, you know, I, I had this odd combination of like really being a pretty hardcore corporate overachiever type and being curious about what's like, what's really going on in the world? Why are we here? And, and having this um, interest in spirituality, which turned into meditation, which turned into going on retreats. And I remember coming back from a retreat and going to the office and saying, hey, what'd you do this weekend? And it's like, yeah, not much. You know, it's like, I didn't want to be like, I, I, I didn't want to show that side of me to the people I was working with. And then when I was on the retreats, you know, they were, I was with these people who were like healers and Reiki masters and yoga teachers. And I'm like this corporate guy. And I was like embarrassed of that when I was with them. It was like, I never really, I mean, it took me decades to like recognize and own that actually the combination in me was a pretty powerful one. And what was it? Like within that, what was it that popped it for you? I can't think of a better expression. What, what kind of brought you to the point where you started to see it differently? I think I came across, a, a you know, at first it was one person, maybe two, who it became clear to me that, oh, they had this different side to them and they kind of owned it. And I admired that in them. And then I would, you know, you know, carefully reveal a little bit about myself and, and there would be encouragement. I was like, oh, maybe this is of interest. Maybe this is, maybe this is interesting to people. And what I learned was, um, it wasn't like people would like ridicule me if I say this stuff. I, it would be, they would either express interest or they would change the subject. And I was okay with that. And so over time, I, I learned that um, it was like a way to bond with people and that there were people who were wanting to have the, wanting to ask the same kind of questions that I was wanting to ask, wanting to have the same kind of conversations that I was wanting to have around um you know, I, I never saw wanting to succeed in the corporate world as inconsistent with having some kind of internal life, you know, having some kind of questioning around how do we do this? How do we do this in an ethical way? How do we find purpose in what we do? All those kinds of things. And what I discovered was when I was actually able to speak that into the world, that there were more people than I thought asking the same kind of questions and wanting to have that kind of conversation. And Jeff, I'm curious, at work, did you start to see pockets of this emerging that you were able to sort of put your hand up and say, hey, I'm, I'm kind of exploring the same sort of thing, and, and, and then you found your people, as it were, um, or was this something that you infused into with more with growing confidence into the work environment, and then you started to see 
engagement and, and change and positivity? I would say more the latter than the former. Uh, and what I found was even though there were pockets of people wanting to having, have this kind of conversation, the way that I found most of them was um, not, not always, but I found more of it online through writing, through like posting things on LinkedIn and other kinds of things than I did like in my physical office space. I mean, my, the last, um, let me think about this. So I was laid off in 2016. That job was, um, I was commuting back and forth to, to Boston. Um, uh, I was with Fidelity Investments. And so I was spending some time in a physical office in Boston, but a, a lot of it was remote. Um, the job before that, uh, same kind of deal. Also Boston, smaller company, but um, a lot of time remote. So a lot of my interactions with people were just, you know, through technology. I, there wasn't a lot of time where if I was in the office, I was in meetings and, you know, doing corporate busy work kind of stuff. Um, so it just... It, it 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 just slowly began to emerge because I got more comfortable um, saying my truth and seeing and 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 getting some feedback around it and getting enough encouragement to feel like oh this is something people want to explore and and you know ultimately that leads into coaching because ultimately that's you know the coaching work was around. Um, how do you show up authentically in the world and still get paid? And, and the, the irony for me is that um, I found the more authentically I showed up, the easier it was to enroll clients when I actually spent the first two or three years of trying to build a coaching practice going through this uh, mental charade of thinking, like kind of trying to package myself as a coach of that people would want to hire instead of just, hey, this is, this is my perspective on the world. This is what I think people want. Um, I, I think most of us just want to show up in a way that really feels true to ourselves and feel like it's okay. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear more about that 2016 sort of watershed. So, you, you know, you, you're working for Fidelity, there's some restructuring. Um, and then, you know, probably most of us um, listening to this would go, okay, well, then, you know, you just go back to being a financial consultant. You just find the next gig and because that's safe and it's what you know and you've got healthcare and you do you know whatever like whatever your justification is you know yeah you scare yourself to death with it um but you decided not to you were like whoa let me let me take a step back let me take a pause here and and and, and maybe what i have been putting out online and the reactions that i've been getting like maybe that's a thing so i'd love to hear like that story and and what ultimately led you to decide not to go back. 
I kind of went kicking and screaming into coaching, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I, you know, here I was thinking, I'm going to be a coach someday. Uh, and having this thought that I would go out on my own and, and, and I'd kind of explored some things on the side. It hadn't had a lot of traction. Um, some of that was my own fear of really putting in, putting in the time and pushing it. And, and some of it was, you know, fidelity was in a, is in a really regulated industry and they had all these rules around, disclosure of outside activities. And I had a boss who was um, really, you know, if you were not thinking about fidelity 24 seven, that was, you weren't, you weren't doing your job. So I just wasn't really wanting to have that conversation with him. And I explored it a little bit, but I, I never really pushed it that much. But then when, you know, so, I mean, I remember it was August 2nd, um, 2016, uh, he, my boss and I actually both got restructured out of our jobs on the same day. So it wasn't him who gave me the news. It was his boss. And, um, you know, I think she was more uncomfortable with the conversation than I was. I, I, I mean, I remember she just kind of like, and so blah, 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 you know, and, and so HR will contact you and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, whoa, you know, it was just. And and this is the second time in my career that this had happened to me. So I, I kind of knew the drill at that point. And, and what larger companies will typically do, at least two that I worked for and went through this with, is they will lay you off at the beginning of the month. And technically, your last day is the last day of the month. So if you can find another role in the company between the day of your you know, separation, your, the, the news and, uh, and the last day of the month, you can, you can take that role. And the first time that happened to me, which was in 2003, I think, uh, with the consulting firm that, um, I was formerly a partner with, uh, before it went public, um, I found another role and found another role relative, like someone reached out to me and said, Hey, we want to hire you in our part of the organization. So I just assumed that would happen again. And then it became clear that it wasn't going to, and I just panicked and I started interviewing like crazy for other roles within the, you know, I didn't, I did, I would love to say I saw the light and recognized it as my opportunity to be a coach. And, 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 and that ultimately was true, but it took me a while to get there. So the first step was like this panic around, I need to find another job. And a lot of that panic was I had some significant, um, basically like stock grants that hadn't vested yet, that I wanted to work another six to eight months at the firm to, to have them vest. I had vested in most of it, but not all of it. And it was a you know significant amount of money, so that was my first thought. And then it became clear that wasn't going to happen. And then I thought, oh well, I have this subject matter expertise. I'm going to go out and be a consultant. And so I had a bunch of conversations with people about my great idea to go out on my own as a consultant, and they got nowhere. And then one of my friends who knew, like she, she and I knew each other well, um, and she knew about kind of the spiritual side of me and the desire to be a coach. And she just took me aside at one point and said, what are you doing? Like, you're saying you want to be a coach. Why don't you go be a coach? And it's like, 
That was a really, like, why was I resisting it so much? And the, what I came up with was I really didn't, I didn't believe I could jump into making a full-time living as a coach. Like I thought I needed some kind of bridge before I could get there. And I mean, it did take a while to build a decent income as a coach, no question. But with the layoff and the severance, and then we ended up moving from Washington, D.C. to Colorado, we downsized, we took a little equity out of the house. You know, I had enough of a, you know, runway, some savings and so forth that I could do it. But it took me a long time to really say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to fully jump in. And it was, uh, you know, I went to a, uh, coaching intensive with Rich Litvin that was not long after the layoff. And that's when it is like, Oh, I kind of, kind of like, kind of like this vibe. I kind of like this coaching community. And I started working with him in a small group and really thinking about, okay, I want to, I want to figure out how this works. But I, it was not my first, I didn't wake up the next day and say, now I'm a coach. It took a while. That's amazing, and thank you for you know being as vulnerable as as you have been. Because um, I think the, those kind of stories are exactly what people love hearing. Because uh, it it's they we can all relate to that story in some way. We've all experienced some version of that. Um, um, so it's it's very powerful. Um, but so then so then when you when you kind of did Rich's group and and started to feel more and more confident about your ability to actually do this did you sort of have a have a mission like this is what i'm going to do for people this is the this is what i believe and this is what i'm going to kind of put out there into the world or was it more a case of this coaching thing is intriguing i know i want to help people but i i sh- i just don't know how the hell i'm going to do it a lot more the latter than the former. Yeah. And I think, um, and, and I would encourage, you know, anyone in your audience who's thinking about this, it's, there's, um, you know, for lack of a better term, a, a research and development phase of this. I mean, I, I do know some coaches and I was, I was talking with someone, um, a couple weeks ago who, uh, had grown a coaching business pretty darn quickly uh, and I had heard about him, and I reached out to him. And and what I have found is that when you do hear of these like quick success stories, oftentimes there's something going on behind the scenes that makes it easier. So for this particular person, he he was laid off. He was in a very senior role. He was already coaching a lot of people informally in the organization. And what happened is people just started reaching out to him. And so he had this kind of, like he knew who he wanted to coach. He, he, he had already been doing it. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with other people who like, maybe they were an internal coach and they, and they got laid off and then they had some kind of consulting contract that they set up. Like, so here's the thing. I mean, I thought I had those kind of advantages. I I was working in, you know, HR with large organizations. I thought I had, oh, well, I've got my, I was working more on like the financial side of HR, you know, the benefits and that kind of thing. 
And so I was reaching out to people and um, getting nowhere. So, so the the people that I thought I would reach out to, uh, if they were interested in coaching, they already had coaches. If they weren't interested in coaching, I I wasn't going to convince them. Um, I thought I, you know, you tend to think that people are like you. And I had always been frustrated by my corporate job and been looking for a way to get out of it and change and go out on my own. And now I was doing that. And I just thought there would be loads of people like that who were just itching to be my clients. And and what I learned instead was, no, people mostly like to complain about their jobs and they have no intention of leaving because it terrifies them. It's a terrifying thing, right? You You really need... To, to just kind of jump out on your own. I mean, I wanted to do it and it still took getting laid off for me to do it. You know, there just aren't that many people who are willing to um, take the leap without being pushed. It, it, it's like this iterative process. You have to have a lot of conversations. You have to coach a few people. You have to figure out um, who am I drawn to? Who is drawn to me? Who do I like working with? How do I how do I help them? What kind of results are they seeing? And you're just continually, you know, it's like the, um, you know, if you if you've seen one of those large lenses to a camera, they've got all these. They're very very complicated. If you look inside them, they've got all of these elements. And all of them have to exactly fall in line for the camera to focus. And it's like you're adjusting, you know, who 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 do I who do I like and feel drawn to? And and similarly, you know, who feels drawn to me? Um, what kind of problems do I know these people have? Like problems that they just, you know, what are your biggest problems? Um, can coaching help with that? And, and if so, how? How do I explain that? How do I get people like that into a conversation? And then ultimately, how do I enroll them into some kind of coaching relationship? And every one of those things, you're, you're just, as you're building a business, you're constantly trying to get better at each one of them. And, and for me, the people that I found that resonated most with me, and it made, it made no sense to me at first, it was it was like founders and people running you know eight and nine figure businesses and I've never done that. It's like there's no logical reason why that would make sense. But what I had done is all of the roles that I had had, I had always gravitated toward these roles where I was about like new ideas or the next thing or like I was always in these roles where it was kind of about risk taking. And it was like, so at least psychologically, and, and I had decided to go out on my own as a coach, right? Um, so psychologically, I could relate to um, the journey that these people were going through and help them. But it took me a while to figure that out and really, you know, do enough research and have enough clients in that area where it's like, yeah, I totally get that you can help me and how. Jeff, I wanted to bring you back to something you you talked about resistance and and um, you know kind of as I heard it like taking the leap. And what I was curious about is, I think there's lots of people who experience a similar thing, which is they might 
they have a you know a calling or they have a, like a whisper from the universe around oh i would love to do this or i would love to do that and yet fear gets in the way they meet the resistance you know so it's like that that fear kicks in what you know if you were to go back and either be able to whisper something in your ear or you were to whisper something in someone else's ear who's experiencing that kind of the the dual nature of that experience and like oh i would love to do that and then i'm shit scared to do it so i probably won't do anything what would you what would you go back and whisper in your ear or whisper in anyone else's ear that would be the thing that could make the biggest difference I think I kind of knew I was doing it at the time, and I also knew it was stupid at the time, but I did it anyway. Um, for me, uh, moving across the country to a you know from Washington D.C. to a town of six thousand people in in the mountains, I mean, I had to figure out how to grow a coaching business. There was no other option. I was going to have to move my family again. It, that was the like that was like the fallback and i think the i i don't know how to get people to do this because it's so against our human nature but if you want to do something like that i mean you know make sure you can take care of your family make sure you're not going to you know end up on the streets that you have some you know you have some savings you have or you have a way to earn money on the side while you're while you're doing this but go for it and go for it 100% because if you have a fallback plan you're going to use it and i see that over and over and over again because it's like you're you're you, you know we t- al in the coaching communities that you and i are in we talk a lot about how we're creating our experience and if we're creating our experience to have a fallback plan that fallback plan is going to look really attractive (laughs) and if we're creating the experience of i am 100 committed to this and i am not going to stop until it works that's what we're going to create and how much of that when you when you started to create this experience for yourself how much of it came from your knowing and how much was a noisy intellect kind of interjecting the whole time that you had to be aware of but dismiss? And, and Oh, the intellect is just, I mean, never, <laughs> never listen to your head. <laughs> because your head wants to, so, so your head is being activated by the fight or flight response in your system. It is creating all the reasons why you should keep doing what you're doing so you'll stay safe. And it's like, you know, it's evolutionary. It's well-intentioned. But if you, it's why it's so hard to change. I mean, you can, you know, if you listen to your head about um, something stupid, like why you should have that piece of chocolate cake in front of you instead of a salad, you know, it's going to say, it's going to try to keep you the same exact weight, the same exact activity level, the same exact career, the same exact relationships, because it has this idea that um, the current state, the status quo is safe, because it knows that. 
it doesn't know the stuff on the other side of that. That looks really scary. And so it's going to try to rationalize not doing anything. So like overcoming that is a big deal and hard. Uh, if I may, I'd love to pick up on a word that you you said earlier, authentic, and and you know when you when you approach, uh, you know the, this this building a business, um, <clears throat> whether it's a coaching business or a startup, or <clears throat> you know the types of clients that you do work with, and and I'm 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 doing some work with some with clients of a similar size, you know this this notion of authenticity. Mm-hmm. And 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 I, I would I would layer in on that and say it's it's authentic, but it's authentic human connections, and yeah. th- like that's the 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 fertile soil for all the goodness that that we we create, and and Al and I have been back and forth on this quite a bit recently. And I, I I was fortunate enough to do some work at an offsite where we just focused on this idea of building authentic human connections. And I'm becoming increasingly convinced that if that is the come from when we engage and and are curious about, in your case, how we might help people or Mm -hmm. in the case of, you know, some entrepreneurs, how we might grow into a market space because we see a need but if that is the come from and it's and it's and it is authentic then that is the wellspring for for the 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 full range of possibility and and where i'm going with this is i'm kind of scratching at the work that you do now with your mm-hmm. corporate clients mm-hmm. and and i'd love to get your perspective on on what that authentic human connection brings to the table, number one. And then number two, you know, it, we talk a lot about practice and actual execution. Like how do you get your clients to then go and take what they see from where you're pointing and, and, and the knowing that develops in them and then go and actually put that into the drinking water and, and reap the benefits? Yeah. There's so much there. Um, I think people really get caught up in the word authentic. And so it almost, it, it's like it becomes performative, which is the exact opposite of authentic, <laughs> right? Um, and so a word that I will use with my clients um, is vulnerable. Like, what is it like to be a little bit vulnerable? And, and, and vulnerability is one of those things that we find incredibly attractive in other people and terrifying in ourselves, which is really <laughs> interesting when you think about it, it's right? It's so true. So yeah. true. Like, oh, I don't know if I can say this, but I mean, one of the things that I learned early on as a coach is... Um, you know, I had this need to, to like be liked and not offend. And I would, I would have these things that would pop into my head that would sound like really like controversial or confrontational, but they were helpful. 
and I learned to like recognize this feeling in my in my gut that was like, oh, I have something to say. What is it? And then I would just stop and see what it was. And I experimented with saying it just to see what would happen. And most of the time, the person would say something like, wow, I'm so glad you said that. Because it was like a way to kind of clear the air or point them to something they hadn't considered before or point them to something that they were kind of afraid to admit to themselves. And and so I will use that. Um, I've used that with people and their employees, people and their spouses. Like what what is what is a way you can be vulnerable this week? Tell me how you've been vulnerable this week. So they just begin to experiment with it and see what happens and see the reaction that they get. And there's nothing there is nothing more powerful and more inspiring and more attractive in a leader than someone who is totally upfront with what they know and what they don't. And and when you think about someone running a business, there are all kinds of reasons why people start businesses and and a lot of it is about proving themselves in some way. And so if they're not the smartest person in the room, if they're not the one who can figure everything out, that's like personally threatening to them. But what's on the other side of that is to say, you know what, I'm not, I don't know as much about finance as I, as I need to. I, this company has grown to the point where I need to hire a CFO. And, and I need to recognize that person knows more about finance than I do. And I need to recognize that my company will be better and stronger because I have people, I'm hiring people who know more than I do. And as people see that more and more, they begin to like let go of a lot of that need to look smart or need to figure things out or need to have all the answers and their companies grow and they get more time and they have more like like the the thing that uh the thing that an entrepreneur ultimately wants to do is be totally unnecessary to their business because that's when it has value that's when they can sell it and there's a lot of things that are getting in the way of most people on the way to that place there's a lot of resistance that shows up. I need to be there for people. I need to be the last one, you know, the last one out at night. I need to, you know, if I'm not there, people are going to, you know, run amok. Well, there's all kinds of stories that show up. But if they're willing to show up more and more real and authentic and trusting, it just builds this culture of people really being willing to to take this business to the next level. So I think we strayed a little bit from your original question, but hopefully it kind of ties. No, no, that that that's magic and and uh, I love the substitution um uh for for the word authentic with with the word vulnerable. Um because I I agree with you. I think the more you can learn 
to be vulnerable and say, I don't have all the answers and I do need help, you you immediately invite people in and you form this connection where the, the, it instantly fosters that psychological safety where trust germinates. And then, and then, and even if you don't articulate it, like that trust is there and then, then all sorts of magical things can happen because the trust exists because you, you see Jeff or Al as, as just fellow travelers, fellow human beings who, who have their own set of vulnerabilities and, and insecurities or, you know, whatever it is. And, and there's an instant connection there because, and you, and to your point about like just letting go, like it's so freaking exhausting going through life pretending that you have all the answers. Yeah, hundred percent. What What do you think? Given that, Mark, like Mark or Jeff, I don't think there'd be many people listening that would disagree with what we're saying you know, in terms of showing up as authentically as possible and being vulnerable. And yet, like, it's simple to say and often hard to do. What do you think would be the, either the attachments or the illusions that, that, are, that need to be kind of surfaced in order to kind of... To, to let go of, you know, we talk here about blowing up the illusions that get in the way of our innate brilliance. And it strikes me that it's seeing the possibility of vulnerability and, and coming from that place, but also getting clear view of the attachments, getting clear view of the illusions and having a, a looser grip or seeing through their solidity a little bit more. So I'm curious as to what you would point to as being maybe one of the some of the biggest attachments and how you would demystify them. The the stories that I hear, and I went through some of these in, in various jobs over the years, is um if I uh if I look like I don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to get fired. Or, yeah, it sound, sound, sounds good to be, you know, authentic and true and all that. That that sounds great, but you don't know my boss. He would be all over me if I showed any vulnerability. And sometimes that's true. You know, let's not... I mean, I, I think the, you know, one of the questions is... If you are already in an environment where you are surrounded by people like that, and there are environments like that, what do you do? You know, um, if you're in a if you're in a toxic organization, there is only so much you can do as an individual to change that organization. The question is. What is the, the personal cost of staying in that environment? And there may be a lot of reasons why you got into it in the first place. You know, before you kind of figured out, hey, I don't, I mean, you know, I spent, I spent time in law firms, you know. I mean, there was, you know, one of, one of my first 
recognitions around this topic. Um, was that I was about five years into working at a law firm and they were talking to me, you know, at that point, the partner track was eight or nine years, but, but if they liked you, they would tell you relatively early on, you know, we see you ultimately becoming a partner and they were beginning to have that conversation with me. And I was looking at the partners in the firm and most of them seemed miserable. And so this, this, this thing that I had signed on for, it just seemed like it wasn't going to lead anywhere that in the long term was going to be satisfying or fulfilling. And so I got an opportunity to move to a consulting firm that seemed like it would be a better fit. And it turned out it was a better fit. Um, and I took it. And so sometimes the, the thing you can do is leave. You know, you were talking about illusion and, and, and everything that you were saying is true. You know, there are these illusions that are quite persistent around, I need to show up in a certain way. I need to work a certain number of hours. I need to whatever, pretend I have expertise I don't have. And if you're the only one to see that it's an illusion, it, it, it effectively, not that it becomes real, it just becomes a lot harder to change or to point out. You know, those, those elephants in the room that people don't talk about. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that's what I'm uh, wanting to bring to the surface is that actually to be yourself, to be authentic, requires a letting go of an attachment to the idea that everyone is going to like it, letting go of the attachment to the idea that it means people or the world is going to do what you want it to do as a result. That the reward is your sense of self. It's your alignment with the truth of who you are. And it will take you where it takes you, you know, that's, and because I think when, whether it's like the founders that I work with or leaders or like when they're not being authentic, it's because they're trying to game out the impact of being authentic. And it's like, that's, that's not on offer. Like it's the, the opportunity is to be authentic, to be vulnerable. And then the cards will fall where they'll fall. It's just that it seems to me that none of us ever really regret it when we step into that feeling of being ourselves. And even if the cards don't fall the way we might have preferred, we're okay with that because we're actually getting used to the sense of, well, I'll be okay because I can just be myself again and again versus trying to decide when that's appropriate or not. It's just, to me, that seems to be an inflection for people is you've got a choice between holding on to the idea that you need to show up in a certain way in order to create your future, or you can let go of the attachment to controlling any of that and choose to 
show up in whatever way you do and trust trust in that. And that's what I hear from your story. And it's my sense of what you're pointing to. And I guess um, that's what I, I was hoping that what I, what I wanted to surface, because it's kind of what I'm seeing as the possibility. Yeah, I mean, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about it from my own perspective and and kind of how I show up with a potential client. I mean, it's one thing to say, this is what worked for me. It's another thing to, to require that this is what works for another person. And I do think we're, like, I, I don't show up as 100% authentic. Like, it's a moment-by-moment practice, right? I mean... If something occurs to me, it's like, oh, is this a is this a safe place to say this? Is this do I know this person well enough to say this? You know, context continues to be important. I think over time, directionally, it's like, yeah, more more and more often I am willing to say what's true for me. Uh, even though the person might disagree or judge me or, you know, whatever, whatever the, whatever the apparent consequence that I fear, I'm more willing to step into that, but it's not an on off switch. And, and so people are in different places and just to, um, you know, for some person, for one person, that edge might be oh, I need to have a difficult conversation with an employee who's not performing to my expectations. And that may be all that they that their system can muster. But on the other side of that is the beginning of a path toward more and more vulnerability, authenticity, whatever word that you want to use. Okay. Um, so Jeff, uh, going back to the the art of of the practice, and for the benefit of our listeners, so, so you're you're somebody who's super aware. You've done you've done you've done the work. You continue to do the work. Um, you have this, uh, hopefully, an acute sense of of awareness. Um, but as you say, we we oscillate between, you know, being super aware and being in that flow, and then kind of sinking down into the basement a little bit from time to time. Um, we all do it. We're human. Um, but I, I'm intrigued by, like, what do you do to activate your awareness, your, uh, your again, your super awareness again? Like, when you notice you're, you're oscillating and you're, or, or you notice you're down in the basement a bit, what is your practice for elevating your consciousness and getting back to that that place where you can, you know, that's the ultimate in terms of the come from for your customers, for, for your family. Like, how do you get back there? What do you do? The thing that seems to be most helpful for me is to call myself out, to say something like, I notice I'm feeling a little triggered right now, or I notice I'm feeling a little uncomfortable or whatever whatever feeling it is that is in that kind of murk you know we we all we all have inner kids that get triggered all the time right and just recognizing oh i'm i'm feeling you know i just i need a minute 
I, I need a minute to think about this or um, I'm noticing I'm getting triggered or I notice I'm noticing I'm uncomfortable or I'm curious about whatever. And just putting it out there in the room just seems to uh, settle me faster than anything else. I certainly can't pretend my way through it. Um, and it's really hard sometimes when you're in that place to like call it out. Depending on the topic, depending on the person, it can be really hard to just say, hey, I need a moment. Jeff, we've one closing tradition on the podcast, which is that our guest, <clears throat> which we don't forewarn them, but uh, our guest gets to uh, create their bumper sticker for life. If you were given the power to create a bumper sticker for life, what would it say? Um, the thing that just popped into my head, and you know, it's not original, but I think it's really useful, is don't believe everything you think. Just, just that, just that recognition that we're living in our thoughts, not in anything solid and real. I mean, I think that's an incredibly helpful pointer for people. Absolutely. Well, that feels like a great place to kind of wrap up for today. Um, Jeff, I'd just like to say thank you so much for. Uh, sharing your time with us. It's been a super fun conversation. I've taken lots out of it. I'm imagining our listeners will as well. So uh, so thank you so much for sharing, as Mark said earlier, so openly and actually role modeling what we're talking about, which is showing up authentically and being vulnerable. So uh, really appreciate you and, and everything you do. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Jeff. I can't believe that's an hour. It's flown by and I... I feel like I can talk to you for hours because there's there's so much that you've seen and so much that you've done. Um, and uh, yeah, your story is very inspiring. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us on this enlightening journey unraveling the innate brilliance within every human being. We hope today's episode has sparked new thoughts and inspired fresh perspectives. Remember, the power to shatter illusions and unleash your true potential lies within you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite platform. If you'd like more insights and daily doses of inspiration, you can follow me on Instagram at Al Kenny Coaching, or you can connect with myself and Mark on LinkedIn, uh, where we will share articles and perspectives about unlocking your innate brilliance. Remember, you are capable of extraordinary things. Keep believing, keep exploring, and keep shining brightly. Take care and stay brilliant.